to be back to uh, this week. We have our guests Neerav Kanodra, Abhishek Paul, and Prasanna Vishwanathan here to take you through the news and events of the week. And this was a week of controversies. Uh, we had the Rana Ayub money laundering probe. Then, of course, the Bharat Pay and Ashneel Grover saga continues. Also, there was this surreal story of the former NSE chief Chitra Ramakrishna being guided and led by a supposed yogi on things like financial projections, appointments, and whatnot. Right. Aside from this, we had some uh, other developments as well. There was the Quad meeting of uh, uh, foreign ministers. Uh, travel norms have been uh, relaxed. And of course, uh, in the big sporting news, we had IPL auctions yesterday. So last week, we put out this really interesting episode on India's outreach to the Central Asian Republics. And I, I thought this was a very episode covered many different facets. Uh, Rashmini Koparkar, who is uh, an assistant professor at JNU, is uh, very well-versed in the subject. And uh, we spoke about the history of of, uh, ties with these uh, countries and also the geopolitical imp importance uh, for India and you know how Russia, America, China, everyone is kind of getting in on the action as well. So very, very comprehensive, very insightful episode. Uh, do check it out for sure. Now with that out of the way, let's uh, talk about the money laundering probe. A money laundering probe tracked over 1.77 crores of bank deposits to journalist uh, Rana Ayub's account. According to a statement by the Enforcement Directorate, funds totaling 2.69 crores were raised on a crowdfunding platform Keto uh, by the Washington Post uh, journalist. These proceeds were then donated towards Pediatrics uh, Department of Tilak Hospital in Delhi. However, these funds were also withdrawn in bank accounts of her sister and father. Uh, Ms. Ayub has dismissed the claims of the ED instead claiming that she provided those bank details as part of a request from Keto. Well, uh, what do you guys make of this? Uh, Prasanna, we can start with you and the others can uh, kind of chime in on this. No, I think like we've been having a, this is not probably the first instance where uh, allegations of irregularity have emerged uh, as far as, you know, all this crowdfunded, uh, you know, campaign goes. Uh, we had that Saket Gokhale, uh, kind of a freelance RTI activist, and now he's full-time political operator as well. Like, similar kind of allegations emerged that uh, he raised a lot of money and then used to fund his fund life. So, uh, see, I guess what is happening is that a lot of these very suave, uh, very uh, clever operators, right, uh, they've understood that uh, there is a, you know, a huge financial monetary opportunity in tapping into the, you know, a very uh, organized, uh, local uh, minority, uh, members of the minority committee, secular uh, people, Congress leaning supporters who are in the SM, who kind of are willing to pay to hear these folks view, you know, the most wild conspiracy theories, you know, uh, revel in Hindu-phobic slurs, you know, basically uh, dehumanize Hindus, you know, abuse the prime minister. So they found that there is a huge market for it. Actually. So basically tapping into the market means that, you know, you need to, uh, you know, indulge in a relentless, no holds barred uh, behavior in uh, social media. You need to reinforce the uh, host stereotypes about your opponent and all that. And they are willing to pay and donate for this emotional uh, high, right? Uh, these clever operators are bound to exploit it, actually. And, and um, 
think Masayu uh, I guess uh, also has built up uh, has the religious victimization card to play and I think she's also now well plugged into the global uh, victimhood uh, narrative complex. Uh, she's much more visible in terms of like I think Saket Gokhale whatever said and done he's like a very small time uh, uh, player right like but Rana Ayub is kind of plugged in into the global Islamist uh, network. I mean though that was a bad follow the Southeast recently but uh, otherwise I think like she's kind of very well plugged into this global uh, complex. So I, I can kind of understand uh, uh, you know the demographics or the kind of the psychographic profile of the people who would be typically inclined to uh, donate to her and to be very honest I think that they're not going to regret or uh, you know we are not going to see an episode like this not repeat in the future. I think this there is a definite market for this, you know, relentless demonization and abuse of the Prime Minister by extension since he's seen as a face of the assertive Hindus. So I think you will see more players emerging in the space actually. Uh, from an investigation perspective, of course, uh, looks very uh, dubious, you know, in terms of uh, there was no separation between uh, you know, the money that you solicit for uh, activism and uh, charity versus, you know, how you use it for your uh, personal enrichment uh, or, you know, bringing in. So, obviously, when you are uh, taking money from uh, the folk, I mean, from the public for a cause, quote-unquote, for a cause, you obviously have to maintain very high uh, uh, ethical standards in terms of how the end use of the funds, right? Uh, I mean, at least at the minimum, that was not the case and uh, funnily enough you know once uh, this individual kind of sense that the government missionaries picked up the uh, blunders in fact we have to credit a handle in twitter called hawkeye i think who kind of first uh, flagged these uh, uh, what are these potential uh, red flags in this entire donation drive you know and after that i think ED is going, uh, just kind of, you know, found uh, all, all about this. So I don't know how serious is the nature of the offense. I think like further investigations will reveal, but obviously the, obviously, you know, the standards of basic uh, standard of uh, ethics and integrity in terms of separating donation money from and kind of funneling it to support a certain kind of lifestyle, you know, from days of Tista, this has been a, the problem with this folks is that, you know, activism is a means of livelihood. So in the sense that at some point of time, they, uh, they kind of just lose that moral compass. So uh, far from, I mean, it's largely predictable, I would say. Uh, but I wouldn't say that this will be the first or the last of it. You, you have many other such challenges. I mean, to be honest, maybe even across uh, ideological spectrums also. Okay, but like, so any any kind of you know uh, misguided activism, essentially focused on emotionally triggering uh, people, aimed at addressing their prejudice, worst form of prejudice, dehumanizing people. I think it will eventually. Uh, be problematic. That's my sense. Uh, yeah, and I think the lines are blurring, right? Between journalism and activism, between uh, donating to a charity, donating to a cause, uh, etc. But what do you make of this, uh, you know, this uh, allegation that this is actually a, a way to curtail freedom of speech and freedom of expression uh, and so on? Uh, I, <laughs> I think that's quite funny because as I said, you know, uh, uh, IO is so well networked and plugged into the uh, global Islamist network, the global liberal 
Islamist nexus, which operates in the Western world largely as a, and you know, basically, I think some part of this apparatus is also connected to the, according to me, the deep state, uh, say in the US or some part of the Europe. See, all, all these, uh, some of the Western countries, especially in the US, right? Like there are different dimensions in which the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, geopolitical operations happen. Like, uh, you know, like one would be like kind of propping up an astroturfing organizations like this, which are uh, invested in, or individuals who are invested in uh, fomenting, uh, you know, fault lines within the society, which is that target. So, I mean, in that sense, she's a very key player. So, I don't know, like, uh, if at all any card that uh, she shouldn't be playing, it's the victimhood uh, card, you know, like, uh, uh, so it's quite surprising, but yeah. again, uh, predictable. And also, this um, uh, some of the characters involved in it, uh, you know, like, uh, see, in Indian context, we can talk without uh, facing any accusation that this is some kind of an anti-Semitic dog vision or something, because, like, I mean, no other part of the world where people have such uh, uh, deep and abiding respect and reverence for, uh, uh, you know, Israel as a state and uh, Jews as a community, right? But but I think, like, a lot of these operators are kind of connected to the open foundation network of uh, George Soros as well, right? So, you know, I mean, he himself is on record a couple of years back saying that uh, he's going to put in a lot of money to, uh, uh, you know, promote, uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote fight against authoritarianism, India's fight to authoritarianism and all that, which is, which is basically a code word for uh, regime change operations. And, and these kind of people, some of them, uh, are uh, funded through a very complex network of Soros-funded uh, you know, uh, uh, agencies and all that stuff. And But I think in her case, I don't think so. Like Maybe she's part of that network. I think she's more like a uh, individual who's essentially uh, draws a lot of her support from more from the Islamist uh, network, actually. So I think, I think that's my sense. I, I mean, like if you really look at it, she doesn't really, unlike, see, like, if you typically look at uh, the Soros uh, ecosystem, right? they play on uh, uh, stuff like, you know, like uh, institutional decay, uh, you know, democracy danger and all. But in our case, you can clearly, clearly see that it's all about, like, uh, Muslim victimhood, Islamist uh, victimhood, right? It's not about uh, uh, anything which is, like, meta issues, I would say. So I think, like, uh, you know, pretty much clear where the donors are for her. So I think, like, of course, she gets all those uh, plugs in uh, international publications and all that, which, which eventually, you know, uh, all these all these forces are, in a way, you know, there is conver tactical convergence that happens all the time, right? Like, but I think, like, she's more more on the global uh, Islamist, uh, uh, you know, propaganda network. That's my sense. You know, I could be wrong. All right, uh, moving on from one controversy to another. Uh, over the last two weeks, the hijab controversy in Udupi has been gaining momentum. Uh, what started as a group of Muslim students wearing hijab in their classrooms has now ballooned into a law and order situation in involving death threats. Uh, Karnataka's Udupi College principal, Mr. Rudre Gauda, has weighed in reportedly stating that no one has requested for hijab in 35 years. Uh, the president of BJP's uh, Udupi Minority Morcha, Mr. Dawood Abubakar, received threats over his comments on the issue. Uh, MLA Raghupati Bhatt, who is also the president of the Development Committee of the Pre-University College, said on Friday that he received threat calls, and most of them 
were from foreign countries via the internet. Abhishek, what is this controversy? And uh, if you could just probably summarize the contours uh, of it. I think uh, what happened is uh, through a series of incidents and I would say even accidents, this controversy became snowballed into a big thing. So, and I think several outlets have reported it quite in depth in the last week or two. So, uh, the version I read was on the print. And uh, so, what it seems is that uh, there was a protest by ABVP uh, for certain campus-related incident in which even these Muslim girls were participating and their photo came out from that uh, protest and their parents saw <laughs> the pictures of them without wearing a hijab. And so, from there it started as in an insistence from the family members that they should uh, be wearing it. Now, it seems what has happened all along is these girls would wear the hijab to the college and then take it off before entering the classroom, right? That has been the practice before November. But now they insisted that they should also get the right to wear it within the classroom, and which was objected by the college authorities. Uh, then they started protesting. Uh, uh, there is... Uh, the CFI, which is the student wing of uh, the PFI slash SDPI, right, which is a uh, Muslim uh, political outfit slash, uh, you know, fundamentalist organization in South India, right? They apparently supported these protests uh, and helped them garner support and all, while there was obviously a sort of counter uh, protest by uh, certain students who insisted that they should also then have the right to wear saffron scarves and all that. And it, this thing spread across various colleges in the South Canada region, I guess. And now it has finally uh, reached the courts. I think that's a good thing. Uh, let our courts uh, take a look at these uh, question marks because I feel there are two or three very fundamental uh, questions at play here, right? Like, so, you know, the fundamental right of re religious liberty, right? Uh, versus the right to equality, right? Which, which On which the premise of having uniforms in schools, etc., are uh, based on, right? So the question the courts have to look at is which right supersedes the other, right? Is it the individual's right to wear whatever they want or is it the institution's right to uh, you know put a uniform then again comes the questions of which institutions have what rights and this is again a slippery slope in india right where we know from uh, our own personal examples or of those of our friends and family that for example how say a catholic institution will prohibit uh, even basic uh, you know, religious symbols from uh, Hindu students, etc. Right? Like a Raksha Bandhan, etc. Is also not allowed. So, what happens there? Are your fundamental rights only available in public institutions, but not in, uh, you know, let's say minority institutions? So, that's a big question for the courts to look at. Uh, the other question mark is again on what is the meaning of these uh, garments like the hijab or the burqa right so that is probably more of a question within muslim society for the muslims of india to consider but it raises question marks right so for example if and i think uh, 
you know various petitioners are making arguments in the line that this is somewhat like an essential religious practice or this is mandated under their religion so does that mean that for example those muslim women who do not wear it are they not you know properly following the religion right and so i think there was a story yesterday of someone uh, a topper uh, student in kashmir a uh, muslim student who does not wear this and she was getting you know threats uh, saying that you know you should wear it to be a good muslim and so on so these are this is another angle right for which muslim society has to sort of think about right what is the meaning of doing this of course it is now being the discussion is on the people having choice to wear what they want but it's not as simple as just a choice right there is also a deeper meaning behind uh, this kind of religious assertion yeah i was actually reminded of uh, harshan rajiv's book actually uh, individual rights in a civilizational state right i mean that's the topic they address in their book a new, new idea of india uh, for anyone i think who wants to understand some of the deeper uh points at play here i think uh, definitely pick up the book uh, it lends a lot of context to how these things keep happening periodically sometimes ahead of elections um all right moving on um, well in the third controversy for the week uh, ashneer grover the bharat pay co-founder and his wife madhuri jain have been accused of financial fraud uh, ashneer and madhuri are in the midst of an independent probe that found financial irregularities at the company the probe found fraudulent transactions including payments to non-existent vendors as well as irregularities of invoices being produced to substantiate spends grover is uh, temporarily on leave from the company in, in the aftermath of a leaked audio clip where he allegedly abused an employee of uh, kotak mahindra bank uh, nirav your thoughts yeah so first is i would like to say that everybody is innocent until proven guilty so we don't know what the results are there have been reports so uh, basically what has happened is uh, the saga snowballed very quickly so on jan 6 uh, there was a leaked uh, uh, audio tape where uh, he is uh, quarreling and like abusing a kotak bank employee for not giving him uh, access to credit lines to invest 100 crores so borrow 100 crores to invest in nika ipo for whatever reasons that may be that clip has been deleted ashneer claims that it is fake so we don't really know what has happened but what this has done is it has brought a lot of negative publicity to the company uh second thing is he's been on shark tank kind of playing the donald trump role in like apprentice or something being rude and uh like uh, putting down the uh, other entrepreneurs who are coming in so i think that maybe helps to get eyeballs or whatever but that was seen in a negative light and uh, he had been uh, put on leave after that what has happened is uh, sikoa who are one of the major investors vc investors they have asked an independent audit from a risk management consultant uh, alvarez and marshall and uh, there there are some leaked reports which say that there is some wrongdoing but i think there's a lot of bad corporate governance or like people being asleep at the wheel so few of the you know red flags was one was for this company the financial controller and the cfo was ashneer's wife who did not have an experience in doing similar jobs before it doesn't matter whether she was a, a fashion designer or was working in fashion designing earlier or her degree 
that doesn't matter but if you have relevant experience would you would a billion dollar company or like 2.8 billion dollar company employ somebody completely like this for uh, a cfo role so that was one red flag another red flag was one of the early co-founders bhavik kolaria was actually uh, arrested for credit card fraud in the us where he was running a store and he was getting people's personal data and so i think that is a big red flag so it seems that you know uh, investors have been like trying to jump on to the bandwagon and are uh, uh, playing on the india growth story a lot of them missed out on the big wave of uh, china fintech so in india there's been a lot of vcs who are just jumping to get on uh, to the credit of bharat pay they've scaled at a blitzkrieg pace right they've done blitz scaling very well they've had ads with like salman khan coming on tv etc so they've scaled up fast uh, they are valued at i think 2.65 or 2.85 billion dollars so this is something which needs to be seen uh, there have been like previous episodes of uh, kind of you'd say like not the best practices used uh, food panda shut down in india and rocket internet shut its office in 2015 uh there was a lot of uh, fake orders and fake invoices there as well but just to keep everything under hush and not to get like negative publicity for the other investments this was kind of hushed up and people moved on uh here i think there has been both sides have appointed lawyers ashneer believes that in his uh, mind the valuation of the company should be 6 billion dollars and he's made a uh, a statement like if they want him out uh, they should buy out his shares for rupees 4000 crores so i think this is classic like uh, you know uh, first ploy and bargaining i don't know what happens but there have been not just with bharat pay right i think if you talk to the startup community what they're saying is that vcs are coming in with like open checkbooks and taps open pumping in money and they're throwing money and a lot of them don't have the time to go through like a fine tooth comb on all the accounts and uh, there have been like a lot of money being you could say siphoned off or not well spent for the business right and i think this is like a wake up call uh whatever so right now he's been accused of fraud whether it is actually there done or not that is besides the point the main point i want to make is about like corporate governance and a lot of these startups have been uh given like a very big free hand and uh, some of that has been uh, abused that trust has been abused it's quite a negative for the whole startup e- ecosystem right so that is one thing uh, bharat pay had also formed a jv with centrum and they got in the banking license and they were buying up punjab maharashtra cooperative bank so now let us see what happens on that front as well you had like the ex standard chartered asia pac ceo uh, bindra who is uh, heading centrum so even that remains to be seen so i think there is it's a lot of muddy waters out here but uh, hopefully uh, even if in my opinion like it's a opinion of a skeptic is a lot of these things will be hushed up behind the scenes there will be a compromise made and some people will be sidelined some people will be in power etc because they don't want to let this house of cards collapse uh, i would say there are few very good companies right and the indian startup ecosystem has thrown up a lot of good companies with valid business models etc but a lot of them are just it's a greater fool theory that i am a fool to invest in this company at this valuation but my plan is to sell it to a greater fool 
who will buy it of me at a higher valuation and it's a game of valuation rather than a game of business models or like customer service or building good products and uh, you know like rising tide lifted all boats now that the tide is turning out uh, we will see who's swimming naked i'm using warren buffet's quote here and in the external environment as well uh, with expectations of like uh, tighter monetary policy by the federal reserve and the european central bank etc what has happened is this excess money or a lot of money which had been printed in the west found its way here maybe some of that turns back and here we will see what all wrong things were being done or like where money was a lot of time money was being ill spent let's put it that way right which is not really necessary for the business or maybe people were being paid too high salary package etc etc so i think a lot of those things might reverse so yeah it's a time to introspect and maybe once these muddy waters clear right that's one of the better times to get in because a lot of the bad apples get removed and whatever remains are the good ones right so it's just the time for that yeah i couldn't uh, agree more with everything that you just said right i think uh, the sooner we move on from this and you know take whatever relevant lessons are in terms of corporate governance and so on uh the better for us because i think the indian startup ecosystem has been in the news for all the positive reasons for uh, a good couple of years at least right and i hope that momentum continues uh because god knows i mean we all remember the 2014 2015 times of the rocket internet and the housing drama and all of that uh right so so yeah um in some geopolitics news uh, the united states has evacuated its embassy in ukraine as russian threat of war looms over the country western intelligence officials officials are warning that a russian invasion of ukraine is increasingly imminent all american staff at the kiev embassy will be required to leave the country ahead of a feared russian invasion the pentagon announced on friday it is sending another 3000 combat troops to poland to join the 1000 1700 who are already there uh, in demonstration of american commitment to nato allies um, abhishek could you help us understand you know what what really is happening here yeah so i mean the uh, russian troop build up uh, etc kind of continues to be there right at the ukraine border and so now this past week the us took the decision to pull out uh, most of their folks from their kiev embassy um, so yeah i think tensions remain a few developments in the last week uh, include uh, the meeting of the french president right macron who visited uh, russia and met putin and also i think the last night there was a call between biden and putin right uh, so yeah, i think diplomatic efforts are continuing but uh, russia is sort of uh, refusing to Uh, de-escalate as of now so yeah it i think uh, most countries in europe right now are probably not in a position to militarily tackle russia right uh, so there's that is the reason why obviously there's a lot of uh, tension and uh, the us is obviously split in terms of uh, you know they they would rather not have to focus on europe right and 
they would rather prefer to focus on china and the indo pacific and this is sort of a distraction uh, for their larger strategic goals but at the same time uh, allowing uh, sort of russia to walk into ukraine would sort of send tremors down the west in in a larger way right so yeah the uh, situation remains quite tense i suppose uh, do check out the couple of episodes we've done on the velina stock series where you know we have uh, covered some of this uh, some of these uh, geopolitical issues yeah i think the one uh, you know with uh, elbridge colby i would yeah. definitely recommend recommend it, yeah. right and he is one of those a uh, few rare us uh, experts who actually explicitly acknowledges the role india is playing right in containing china right and gives credit to india for that so yeah, i think well worth the listen and india has relaxed travel norms for 82 countries doing away with home quarantine upon return the new norms will come into effect from monday and will also remove the need for travelers to undertake an rt pcr test on the 8th day of their return the countries added to this list include us new zealand switzerland australia hong kong singapore Saudi Arabia and the Netherlands instead of 7 day home quarantine as mandated earlier all travelers will self monitor their monitor their health for 14 days after their arrival well i do hope that travel comes back and then we can move around freely uh moving on in some important news the quad foreign ministers meet uh proceeded successfully with members resolving to work towards a free and open indo pacific at a joint media briefing after the talks Australia's Marie Spain said the Quad foreign ministers reaffirmed their support to principles of openness and protection of national sovereignty. The Australian Prime Minister also said that uh, he was reassured by the incredible support that Australia had received from its Quad partners. It was the third in-person meeting of Quad foreign ministers following their meeting in Tokyo in October 2020 and the inaugural meeting in New York in September 2019. Nirav Abhishek what do you guys make of this yeah so i think uh, as you mentioned like the earlier part right so uh, there is uh, two sets of like uh, uh, crises in two two areas geopolitical crises are going on so like the russia ukraine is one of it the other one is like uh, china and taiwan and kind of the quad is like like a group of democracies uh, this is like a incremental progress each time right so i think uh, they are going ahead there is a little more coordination on like uh, intelligence defense related uh, things so i think it is all going in increments uh, towards uh, strengthening like democracies across the world uh, but beyond that i don't think there's going to be any sort of like uh, military boots on the ground or i don't think there's very whether or not i don't know whether it's posturing by russia and ukraine or so that uh, ukraine doesn't join nato etc but i don't think like the quad like india or australia are going to go or japan for that matter are going to put boots on the ground some in uh, some of those places but yeah, it, it remains to be seen i don't know maybe abhishek can add more yeah uh, well i mean we will cover some of these things uh, in following episodes of the velina stock uh, right yeah uh, i think uh, i think nirav said it right like it's there was nothing spectacular or big that came out of this meeting it was more incremental discussions and progress right whether it is uh, on vaccines or in general uh, you know the security situation in the indo pacific 
all right and uh, finally the first day of the ipl auctions occurred yesterday uh, ishan kishan became the most expensive buy as he went to mumbai indians for 15.25 crore deepak chahar was sold to chennai super kings for 14 crores uh, shreyas ayer was clinched by kolkata knight riders for 12.25 crores avesh khan was bought by lucknow super giants for about 10 crores the highest in the history of ipl for uncapped players uh, abhishek i know you followed this uh, closely yesterday uh, what are your thoughts yeah actually more than the auction uh, sort of something quite unfortunate happened while i was watching live right so at around 1 or 1:30 pm the person conducting the auction he sort of fainted and fell down right in front of a live audience that was quite the scary thing right and uh, amazingly they managed to put the show back on in 2 hours where they called up charu sharma who was probably just you know chilling at his home uh, to sort of go from just watching the tv to suddenly conduct an auction without any prior experience i think he did a great job you know you have to sort of give credit i mean luckily he lives in bangalore so they were able to call him up i'm sure there might have been one or two others who might have been called up but it was quite quite uh, incredible to see him just walk into the venue and start conducting auctions suddenly i guess there were jokes of how you know bangalore traffic probably was causing a little bit of delay as well but you know that that goes with the territory but yeah i think other than that Uh, the big names you called out right uh, some very young indian players made uh, incredible amounts of uh, money right yesterday so good for them i think uh, that will sort of put a lot of pressure and ex- and expectation on these kind of players so so when you are like one of the top rated franchise players the expectation now is that you know you'll not only do well for your franchise but also hopefully start performing well for indian team as well right because now you are a big name player so yeah i think uh, looking forward to how the folks folks like uh, ishan kishan or deepak chahar become uh, mainstays in the indian team yeah i think the yeah. consensus was that you know delhi did a very good job in sort of making sure that uh, so suppose they would understand that team a or b wanted a certain player they would keep bidding to sort of jack up the prices and ensure that the uh, purse of the other team would go down significantly and then they would quietly back away knowing that now this is becoming <laughs> dangerous for them also so i think delhi played the auction game pretty well yesterday yeah it was the uh, ceo of gmr right i mean yeah, uh, yeah 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 no definitely interesting and i'm uh, really excited by the pipeline that it builds for the india team you know i mean yeah. uh, really kudos to the ipl on that front i mean remarkable if you would have thought of it like 20 years back that this would happen i mean it would be um, really unreal so all right i uh, i think we are at the end of another weekly thank you again uh, nirav uh, abhishek and prasanna kind of dropped off because of internet connection uh, thank you again for lending your perspectives on the news and events of the week Uh, thanks guys for tuning in do check us out um, again next week we have a bunch of episodes lined up and uh, let us know what you think of it on social media etc we're at bharatvarta thank you and have a great week ahead Bye-bye.